Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Morris. All right, I'm going to admit this right out of the gate. I didn't realize you, Kyle, worked at Starbucks once upon a time. I'm not a big Starbucks guy. Here's the funny thing. Every once in a blue moon, I will go, usually just when I have a gift card. Uh, I don't know that I've ever spent my own money <laughs> at a Starbucks. I'm just not kind of a Starbucks guy, whatever that means. It just it doesn't fit me. In fact, every time that I do go and I bring a cup to work like I did this morning, odds are pretty good. There's one person in the building, not any one particular person, but somebody in the building is going to go, you're a Starbucks? I don't take you for a Starbucks guy. And then I have to tell them, well, you're right. I got a gift card, blah, 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 blah. I admit, I, I still don't get the size thing, and um, I realize Starbucks has been around for, I don't know, 20 years, 25 years probably, uh, they have not been as ubiquitous as they have been, you know, until maybe the last 10 years, 15 years. I walk in there, still no clue what size I'm getting. I, so walk in and, um, it's pretty much, I only know two by heart, grande and venti. Now, common sense would tell me grande, that's gotta be the big one. That's gotta be the biggest one. Why? Grande, grande, oh, venti. Venti is like, oh, look at little venti running around there. No, it's just the opposite. And I know, like 97.9% of you listening right now go, yeah, you moron. I go there three times a week. I've known this basically my entire life. There's probably people listening right now that have known the sizes of Starbucks their entire lives because they've grown up in the age of Starbucks. And I have myself, but... I have not been able to keep the sizes straight, and there I went in again this morning with a gift card, said the size, and was kind of left out in the in the wilderness. So I actually did Google. I looked this up. There are one, two, three, four, five. There are five sizes right now. I say right now because I assume this matters. There are five sizes at Starbucks, and um, I'm doing this for... My own good, self-serving program to start. I'm doing this for many, probably not many, but some of you out there who also, you're intimidated. And I trust me, if you're intimidated going to Starbucks, I am there with you. You've got your short. I'm going to work, I'm going to work um, small to tall, okay? But I shouldn't usually use, I, I should not use the term tall. You'll find out why. I will go shortest to tallest. You've got the short. I did not know that that was a size. I didn't. Small, medium, large. That's an extra large. That's what I know. I'm a child of those sizes at restaurants, at fast food places, whatever. You got your short. That's 236. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to get to that text. Sorry. Distracted by a text. Short. 236 milliliters. Then you've got the tall, 354 milliliters. Then you have the grande, 
473 milliliters. Then you have the, well, how am I supposed to say it? Vent, venti, venti, vent, venti. That's 591 warm or 709 milliliters cold. Then you have, I did not know this existed, Trenta. Trenta. That is the biggest now. 917 milliliters. Now, somebody from the 307 Venti, they they spelled it V-E-M-T-Y, ha, 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 ha. That is not how it is pronounced. Well, how the heck is it pronounced then? Am I not even pronouncing Venti correctly? See, if you're going to text that in, that's fine, but then you need to phonetically text in how it is pronounced. Have I been pronouncing that wrong this whole time? See, that only then adds to my genuine ignorance as to the Starbucks size. That is one of the places, too, where you walk in and you're, uh, I'm a little intimidated because I know that all those baristas, that is how it's pronounced, right? Barista, they know more about coffee and chemical combinations to provide the most caffeinated drink possible. They know more about that stuff than I'll ever care to know. They've forgotten more than I'll ever care to know. And yet... I walk in there, I pretty much know it's going to be grande or venti if I'm... Hmm. I'm just saying. Now, Kyle, I didn't know you work there, so this is... I, I was not... Pl- I, I didn't know this, so this is actually... This could be a really... Kind of like a landmark day for me and for other people um, who may not be up to date on all the, the jargon. Am I, First of all, am I saying it right, venti? Yep, that's right. Okay. Venti. Well, well, somebody on the text line said I was saying it wrong. I I, I don't understand that. The, are you aware of Trenta? Yeah, that's the uh, like thirty ounce that they would use for like iced teas. I think that's all they use it for, like like liquid drinks. You don't you don't get like the frappuccinos. Wait, 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 wait. like like liquid drinks as opposed to the solid drinks. Yeah, like the frappuccinos, like those blended beverages. Oh, okay. Aren't all drinks liquid? Sorry. You can drink a blended drink <laughs> through a straw. I think a blended drink is still liquid. Yeah, partially. <laughs> is snow... Give, give or take. <laughs> so you've got... So name the five sizes. Ready, go. He's not looking. Uh, there's a short. That's mm-hmm. the eight ounce. There's a tall. That's the 12 ounce. The grande, 16. Venti, 20. And then the Trenta is the 30. Okay, there we go. Now, you would know that. Um, did you ever feel working at Starbucks as if sometimes customers would walk in... And they would be intimidated by uh, the the barista knowledge, by the bo- by the menu boards. Could you tell? I bet you could tell the regulars from the rookies, the newbies. The oh, I rarely come in. It's more it's more apparent when you are there in person, uh, like up at the counter ordering a drink in person. It's not really easy to tell something like that when they're going through a drive-through. I would say, but oh yeah, when someone. Even just standing in a line, and then they're up to the register, and then they sort of have this, you know, eye, the eyes open up a little <laughs> bit bigger, and they're like, oh, there's a, there seems like, they seem rushed a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would say that's the telltale moment where yeah, you're like, yeah, you don't really know exactly what's going on here, do you? You don't. <laughs> and then you make fun of us when we leave. Well. You and the rest of the staff go, hey, how about that moron? He didn't know a venti from a hole in the wall. I would. It was much easier to make fun of regulars because we knew them by name or whatever. I, the, the people that just, that's like if you, you as someone that, was that never goes, that's me. you're just yeah. a passing moment. <laughs> just, 
does that make I'm you feel? just a, as Ron Wolf would say, I was just a fart in the wind. <laughs> okay. All right. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know, the, so that there is some pressure as a customer standing there at the counter when it's my turn and looking up there going, I don't see sizes. I find that very intimidating. It, I, I equate it to one other, off the top of my head, one other place where I am a consumer, where, where I'm a customer, and I find myself very rushed, if not altogether intimidated. Um, I only feel it one other place, and I'll share where that is next. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, here's the other place. Um, grocery store when you have to bag yourself. Grocery store when you have to bag yourself. And not when you're going through the self-service line or the, the, the self-checkout line, because then you can work at your own pace. It is when you are going through and there's a cashier checking you out. There's a cashier checking you out, but you've got to do your own bagging. For one reason or another, either there's not a you know a bag boy or a bag girl. Is that their call now? Is there a politically correct term for that? I would just say bagger. Okay, sorry, bagger. There is not a bagger there, and so now it's on me. So now, well, think about this. You you've maybe you've gone to the grocery store. You 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 purchased a lot of stuff, and the stuff's coming through, and she's or he is scanning it. Now now you got a bag, and you've got to pay, but. You've got to do it at a pace that does not slow up the line because he or she will not stop checking people, you know, scanning people's items just because you're, you're slow. I feel very intimidated by that situation. That's why I enjoy the self-checkout because then you do it all at your own pace. Otherwise, you're, you know what I feel like? I feel like I'm in a NASCAR pit crew situation there. Got to go, got to go. Come on, you got to change the tires. Got to get them back out on the course. Got to refuel here. We got to get them back out on the course every time. Every time there's this little extra pressure, little sweaty palms, to make sure that you're able to bag all your groceries and clear the conveyor belt so they can continue with the next customer. Now, is, is this by design, They're, like you having to bag your own groceries, or is there just not a second person in this instance? Because typically, when I go to a grocery store and I know I'm coming in with a full cart, there's always, almost always two people there. Unless if by design there is not the person, the bag person. So like at an at an Aldi. If you ever go to an yes. Aldi, oh, there you go, Aldi. See what I what the one I used to go to Aldi all the time when I was in college, and I would put everything back in the cart, and then I would wheel the cart. They would have like a like a counter. Yeah, you you take it to the counter, and then yeah. you can box or bag your groceries at yeah. your own pace. Right. Uh, because somebody did. Somebody, yeah, Dan from Whitefish Bay said, he, he said, like Aldi. I but, felt- but you're not talking about that. You're talking about going to a regular grocery store and there is not the bag person there. Like they might be going, there might be one bag person for right. two stations and they're, they're not at yours. Uh, uh, right, right. Because at Aldi, you put everything on the belt and then you, they fill a cart and they just kind of like throw everything in I mean, the cart. Um, unless you're there for the very first time, you, you go there understanding that you have to bag your own stuff at an Aldi. That. How many people don't know that the first time they go in? I was talking about going to Starbucks the first time and not knowing sizes. How many people go to an Aldi? They do all the shopping. They go up and down the aisles. They fill their cart up and down, bing, bing, bing. And then they get to the checkout and they go, 
Uh, where's the bags? Well, they, they do have bags, but they'll sell them to you for, I don't know, maybe like 25 cents or something like that. I just take the boxes. Right. From there, well, yeah. But, but you it, but know if that. If you're limited to that, <laughs> you, you might have some very awkward packaging that you have to work your way with. See, these are all these are all little things. And I know, I know, Scott, it's a Monday. There's going to be a new president inaugurated in 48 hours. The Packers are a win away from the Super Bowl. I mean, our, our capital at Washington and, and maybe our state capitals, although we, we made it unscathed through the weekend when it comes to the state They're under siege. What the heck are you doing talking about Starbucks issues and grocery packing issues? It's because... Many times in our lives, while those are the big impactful things, these little issues of our day, these are the things that bog us down. These are the things that, you know, maybe preoccupy our mind while our capital is under siege and other big news things are happening. I'm standing at Starbucks going, what the bleep is the difference between a grande and a venti? I'm the guy trying to hurry up, hurry up at pick and save, and the things are coming. You know, it's like Lucy and Ethel at the chocolate factory here. Speed it up a little, and the conveyor belt's moving, and then somebody else wants to check out. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's just. I was trying to think during the break. Are there other, other instances in society where? We find ourselves in momentary, eh, panic is a strong word, but just momentary, what would you call it? Momentary uh, anxiety. High anxiety, flashes of anxiety in seemingly mundane life experiences and activities. Um, well, we'll start the list with two. Standing at Starbucks when you don't know what you're doing and what the sizes mean, and standing at the grocery checkout counter with the things coming and you got to hurry up and bag them because the bagger just that's what is bad too sorry i digress but that's kind of how i roll for those of you who know me when you've got a bagger bagging and then it's your turn to check out and they suddenly move on to the next uh, cash register like no can you just can you just come back just real quick just for me just stay stay in my in my lane for one more customer, and then you can move on to the next one, or, or just leave you. Your break can wait like two minutes. Just help me bag, because otherwise, like I say, sweaty palms, NASCAR pit crew, and all that stuff. It's it's quite a harrowing situation, would you say? This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, you people are coming through in the clutch here. Uh, the text line. There's some good ones here. We were saying, what what mundane, everyday, seemingly routine activity suddenly spikes the blood pressure? It just gives you that flash of anxiety. And yet, until you do it, you don't realize it. A 262. A person going through a roundabout for the first time is definitely eye-opening and... Uh, and um, and apparent to everybody around them, and can give people some anxiety. I'm willing to bet there are people listening to us right now that will intentionally go out of their way to avoid a a route with a roundabout because they don't know how to handle it or because it just it makes them nervous. And all of a sudden, you're driving on that highway and you see the roundabout coming and that, that, that flash of panic and sweaty palms, seemingly mundane activity, 
brings about anxiety. I do really like that one because I can't think of one here in Milwaukee, but definitely in Green Bay. I think it's like Mason Street or something like that near downtown. Kyle, you're right about that. And uh, <laughs> there's there's like three or four or five of them in, in succession. And the people that live in Green Bay... They drive that every day. So they're constantly like looping in between in and in and out. And if you go through there for the first time, it is like like you're a fish trying to go into it, like getting sucked into a current. It is it is horrifying. I call it the seventh circle of hell driving through that. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I can drive through a roundabout just fine. Thank you very much. But having them one after another and there's like four or five of them. By the time you get to the fourth one, you are white knuckling and like just saying a prayer because it's it's it gets scary. See, when it comes to roundabouts, um, I love them. Love the roundabouts. Uh, I think the first one we got here in this area had to be... 15, 20 years ago now, I think it was the one out on Moreland Road, right off of, um, you know, 43. And um, if you find yourself, this is just a blanket statement to you, Kyle, or, or to you, Melissa, or anybody else who's listening out there who might find themselves in, their, in the car with me, which I guess could be odd and awkward, but nevertheless, I'll say it. If you find yourself in the car with me, and I am the one behind the wheel, and we come upon a roundabout, we are going to go around that roundabout a few times. And I do it intentionally because they are fun. So let's enjoy it. Well, we, 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 you know, I, I know what I'm doing. I intentionally set out to have a couple of revolutions around the roundabout. So, um, so it's funny you say that because warned. that actually happened to me one time where I was by a high school in Green Bay mm -hmm. and there was a couple of kids in a car getting, you know, get, finishing high school or finishing the day, they kept going around the roundabout where I couldn't even get into the roundabout because they kept going around. So it was like a fun, fun day for them. I'm not, telling you. Not for me. You got to embrace the roundabout. <laughs> yes. Um, there are a few other texts I'm going to get to because some of you have nailed, again, just uh, talking about everyday mundane activities that for whatever reason provide a flash of anxiety even though they're so seemingly simple. So I'll, I'll read some of those pretty good texts uh, in just a couple of minutes. But first, it is the bottom of the hour, and Melissa's here with headlines. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Similar feeling for Mitch and Sturgeon Bay. If you are going through a toll booth and uh, you're fumbling for the change... And you glance in your mirror, you see the buildup behind you. Oh, isn't that the worst? You're, you're, you've got the coins, and you're going to throw them into the basket. And you drop one in the seat, or it goes awry. And yes, that, that can be rather anxiety-building. Pretty similar, or pretty uh, simple everyday activity. 414, getting a car wash that the person in front of you is going to hit their brakes when exiting. <laughs> I have wondered that. When you go through the car wash, do you use every second of the dryer? Usually usually there's a countdown, right? There's a countdown clock right outside the door. I usually, I, I try to, it's like 60 seconds, and it's counting down until the, the air dryers turn off. I usually, it's hard to do, but time time it so that the back of my car crosses under as it's going to zero. I, I need to get every penny's worth of my air dryer. Yeah, I don't. I don't do that. I, I think I usually got at least ten or fifteen seconds. My parents. Uh, actually, I don't think I've ever said this on the air. Nobody knows this uh, here at WTMJ. My parents own a car wash, or they did when we lived in Wausau, and 
Uh, that was literally a part of my like 15 years of my childhood. No uh, kidding. Like, having to go there and work there and stuff. And so I, with the automatic car wash and the dryer, I, I got it down. You, you don't need all 60 seconds. You worked at a car wash? Yeah, so uh, it was a manual. So we had we had two manual bays. So like you, I mean, with dirty trucks and everything, you often have to clean the bays because of how much mud and dirt and grime is there. So yeah, you go there, you you clean the vacuums and the garbages and whatever. Automatic takes care of itself usually. So how many times have you heard the song? Uh, <laughs> not, not many times, but yeah, I'm sure that's for many people. That's what comes to mind. You were working at the car wash? You were. Son of a gun. Wow. Car wash, yeah. <laughs> All right, two more here. Um, this, is, this is really good. Uh, 414, I'm not a boater. I can count on one hand the number of time I've, times I've been on a boat on Lake Michigan, for example. 414, backing your boat into the water on a busy day when others are waiting. And you've got to nail it the first time, right? Yeah, I could imagine that. There, there are great videos out there. I'm a sucker for like the YouTube rabbit hole of videos, and suddenly like an hour's gone by, and I've watched, you know, somebody slip and fall 500 times or something. I think it was a YouTube video, videos of people trying and failing, trying and failing, trying and failing to back the boat into the water back the trailer with the boat into the water and it's nope it's off it's that and then finally they just drive away say forget it the pressure's too the pressure's too great 414 teeing off on the golf course on the first or ninth hole again seemingly mundane everyday activities that for whatever reason provide just a flash a momentary rush of anxiety hmm uh, this is this may be my favorite though, and I think it's because it brings back a certain degree of school-related anxiety. High school locker combination after a holiday break. <laughs> that was, you know what? When, when you think back and being in school, and my gosh, how many how many things could be put on the list of the the anxiety list when you think back of being in school? Remembering your combination, like going into, um, I don't know about you, but I did not have lockers until high school. I went to a grade school that was K to eight. You just had a hook for eight, nine years. I had a hook. Then you go to high school, that first encounter with the locker combination. I mean, that, that was like the biggest, the, the first day of high school, right? Or if you had junior high, some remembering the locker combination and will I be able to make it between classes in the appropriate allotted uh, pass time because we had four minutes to pass there's another moment of anxiety four minutes to pass and you know obviously you had to go from biology on the in the science wing to art class which is on the complete other end of the school and you had four minutes four minutes to pass and that could be especially early freshmen, right? Some of the most anxiety-riddled times of one's life is. I was trying to think. I, I think I still remember my. Do you still remember your locker combination? 
No, but I, I never had that worry when I was in high school because I, I had lockers from sixth grade on. Oh, you were. A, by the time you got to high school, you were a locker veteran. Yeah, I mean, it, it would you would have that moment where you're like coming back from winter break, where you're like, oh, do I remember? And then the second you touch like the ridges of the knob, it would it would come back to you. But no, I for the life of me, I would not be able to remember mine right now. I think I was thirteen. Thirteen. Twenty uh, three. Three, twenty-seven, thirteen. Is that it? Could be it. I should go back and find out. I don't know. I realize that there are a whole range of things that give us anxiety, but so anyway, the moral of the first forty-five minutes of the show is what? Venti is not the largest Starbucks size anymore, but it means twenty. Grande is Italian for large. Venti means twenty. And Trenta is 30. There you go. And for people who just tuned in, you'll have to listen back to the podcast. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, 13, 27, 33. 13 left, 27 right, 33 left. Right, left, right. Yeah, that's it. Somebody head over to uh, Wisconsin Lutheran High School. What was my locker number? I think it was 1305. It was right down off of uh, the, the, the band room. Somebody go there right now and tell me if that works. <laughs> I would like to go back there and try my old locker. And then you'd pack everything in your backpack because you knew you had one stop and it was going to be during lunch hour and all kinds of... We could spend three hours talking about things that... So, this weekend, we were bracing for... Well, who knows what at our state capital, right? Um, we know what happened in the nation's capital. Thank goodness. And there were some incidents, but nothing, I think, on the scale of what many were worried about across the country, I'm talking now, yesterday. But did you... That's not to say that Wisconsin's capital was not breached. Did you hear about the breaching at uh, the capital in Madison? This was uh, yesterday? Yeah. Um, Authorities say the actions of an an intoxicated man who drove his vehicle up the stairs of the Wisconsin Capitol grounds did not appear to be politically motivated. Uh, 44-year-old Willie Burks of Madison drove up the exterior steps on uh, MLK uh, Jr. Boulevard and around the exterior of the Statehouse just before... 9.30 Saturday night. Sorry. He then left the Capitol grounds and drove against traffic before parking his vehicle. He was arrested for his third drunken driving offense taken to the Dane County Jail. No implication of threat or indication of a threat to the Capitol. So, this is what we had for a breach in Madison. The drunk driver that drove up the steps. Drove up the stairs of the Capitol. Okay. You know... I did think this this weekend, and I know we've all seen the videos, some of the videos, of what happened a couple of weeks ago now, but I don't know if you saw the video that was released this weekend. I think it was the New Yorker. The New Yorker came upon more cell phone footage, more cell camera footage, you know, of of the siege at the U.S. Capitol and... I watched it, and 
it just it and it hopefully still resonates with you. It just it leads to like a burning sensation inside of me. It just it it's it's a helpless talk about anxiety, a helpless anxiousness of just burning. But I'm watching this video, and even if you haven't seen the newest stuff, I mean, people are in the Senate chamber, which we knew, and they're rifling through desks. They're lifting up desks. Did you see the footage? They've got their cameras out, their phones out, and they are taking pictures of documents. Um, And I'm watching the footage, and then it struck me. You know the adage, they say it about dogs, dogs who chase cars. What do they always say? What's what's the adage about a dog who chases a car? What is it going to do when it catches the car, right? Oh, look at that. Dog running in the street chasing the car. You ever wonder what it's going to do if and when it would catch the car? For the first time this weekend, and maybe I'm slow on the pickup, Maybe some of you have already had this thought. What would have happened back on the 6th, right? What would have happened if those rioters, if that mob, had come upon a legislator? I mean, thankfully, everybody had had fled, barricaded themselves in an office, well, some of them were in the House chamber, we know, and barricaded in there, and we know what came of that. Some of them were taken to secure locations. Obviously, you had the Vice President in the building, Speaker of the House, and they were hurried away to a secured location, what, in the basement or you know, through some of the underground tunnels and things like that. But I, it hit me, watching the newest footage, what exactly would have happened... Had they caught, had the mob actually caught one of the one of the elected officials, what would they have done? I'm serious. Now, there were chance of hang Pence, hang Pence, heard at some point during the the rush up the steps and whatnot. What would they have done? Had they, God forbid, <clears throat> excuse me, come across Mike Pence? Has anybody thought of that? What would have come of them getting to Nancy Pelosi's office and let's say by some mistake, some fluke of security, which we saw was also on display, she'd still been there. Or they tracked her down in a hallway. Or, or second in command, uh, who is it, Steny Hoyer? Or even, like, let's just take it down a notch. Let's say it's not Speaker of the House, Vice President, and, and those in a position of, of uh, you know, leadership. What if it was, a, uh, I'd say a rookie, <laughs> a, a rookie representative, a first-year representative from Idaho, I don't know, pick a state, Vermont, Montana. What would they have done with him or her? Has anybody ever thought to, to follow that through? What exactly would have happened? What would have happened? I, I, don't, I, I don't know the answer. I mean, there are some scary options on the table, obviously, when you have a mob yelling, hang Pence, hang Pence, and other things. 
incendiary things. But the next time you see that footage or a clip of it, and I encourage you to go and watch because it is even now and hopefully never does lose its the impact of the of the footage I hope never loses something on you but go watch it and listen to what's said and then think what if they had caught one of our elected officials what if they had actually come in contact with Mike Pence before he was able to be rushed off or Nancy Pelosi or anybody in leadership hmm I've got a feeling you may view some of those things a little differently maybe you find it horrific and scary to begin with and you should but if you visualize that mob charging down the halls of the Capitol the halls of Congress what would have happened if somebody opened a door and there was Nancy Pelosi how would that have ended hmm Would that change the narrative? Would that change how we view it almost two weeks later? Like I say, what does a dog do when it finally catches the car? What exactly happens then? What would the mob have done had they caught one of our elected officials? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Wallace. I was thinking of this earlier today, and I'm reminded of it there because Melissa was talking about the, the Packers and the, uh, the Buccaneers. The winner goes on to Super Bowl 55 right they're still doing the roman numeral thing though and i am not about it not about the roman numerals do you know what 55 roman numerals is quickly kyle quickly what's what's 55 in roman numerals is it mv mm, no it is something v it's an easy one because what's 50 50 is l so it's lv oh, LV. oh yeah yeah, See, yeah five years ago yeah five years ago when it was 50, they went with the number 50 because Super Bowl L, right? Would, well, it was the, the big 5-0. Right, exactly. And I had thought, and not altogether hoped, I had hoped that, well, okay, for 49 years they've gone with the Roman numerals. Oh, that's cute, that's quaint, and now it's 50. Can we just be normal, please, and just do... And no, no, they went to L1. L or sorry, L one, L I, L I I. I'm not good at Roman numerals. Sorry. So Starbucks and Roman numerals are my two deficiencies. I'm like, um, but here we are. In fact, before the show, I could not remember which Super Bowl it's going to be. So I said, what you know, which Super Bowl is it? And it says Super Bowl LV. What did I have to do then? The obligatory Google. What is LV in Roman numerals? And I don't, I just, I, I think we've had it. It's fun. It's cute. It's, but it's, it's, it's over now. Let's just go to regular numbers. Where is the only other area in life where Roman numerals are still used, basically? Where's the only other pl- place where you see, at least that I can think of, that you, that you see Roman numerals? 
All the other ones. Uh, like our government buildings. What do you mean? Oh, like when either the building was put up oh. or when... Uh, like you mean like on a... the cornerstone? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like on the exterior of the building. I don't know. I've, I've seen buildings that say, you know, um, 1892, and it's actually... No, I was going to say movies. The copyright year for the movie. It's always M-C-X-L-V-I-I-I, whatever the heck that means. I just... I mean, if you actually think about it, the Roman numeral thing is just, it's long, it's long. That ship has sailed like our, you know what, that's probably a conversation that I bet our grandfathers even had the, our our grandfathers' grandfathers probably had the conversation of, you know, and what's the deal with the Roman numerals? No, it's just, it's unnecessary. I I find it, uh, find it very distracting. I just think it's completely unnecessary. I think the NFL needs to just go with the numbers. 55. That that could be a nice logo. Double nickels. Scott Steele used to say double nickels. 55. Use that on your branding. Uh, the Roman numeral thing, please. More people. That'd be a fun survey. Like the old jaywalking thing on the Tonight Show. A survey. You, you show somebody Super Bowl LV and say, "What Super Bowl number is that?" I'd say 3 out of 10. Maybe. Maybe three out of ten people know their Roman numerals. There's no point for Roman numerals anymore. If somebody has a reason to use Roman numerals in society, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear it. You can, you know, text or call 855-616-1620. But I do want to ask this Packers-related question. And I know Steve and Carol talked about it this morning. Uh, I was in and out and not able to hear the full discussion. But I would like to know if anybody was there yesterday. And I want to know if it really was as loud as it seemed. Was it really that impactful? And obviously we can take the players' words for it, right? They said it felt like 50,000, 60,000. What did Rogers say? Something like that. So, look, they're the ones playing. They're the ones on the field, in the bowl. They can feel that sense. They can hear that. They, I take their word on it. But from a fan's perspective, so I know there were about 8,000, 8,600 fans or something like that, under 9,000. Is there anybody that was there that can share with us what what it really was like? Was it odd? Was it weird? Was it creepy? Was it like normal? You had more elbow room, I assume, than normal. It, it does point out, because the, the stadium looked kind of full-ish, the way they potted people in the bowl, it did look kind of full to me. I was struck by how full it looked with 8,600 people, whatever it was. But it also reminds you of how how tightly you're packed in there as like sardines during a normal time when you've got, what does it hold, 80,000, something like that. And I I rarely go to Lambo anymore, but when I went last year, it, it wasn't exactly uncomfortable there. Let me just put it that way. But um, 855-616-1620. This is probably a harder question today than it normally would be. If I, In a normal circumstance, if I said I need to talk to somebody that was at the Packers game yesterday or over the weekend when they have a full house of 80-some thousand, my guess is there's at least one or two of you out there listening to me right now that would be like, oh, yeah, I was there. But when you have 8,600, the task becomes a little more difficult. But there's got to have been somebody out there who was at the ball game on Saturday night 
and can give us some sort of first-hand account of what it was like. I have some questions for you as well. 855-616-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 855-616-1620. Were you there Saturday? Because I, um, well, I need a report. I need a follow-up as to the experience. Were you elbowed? Well, you weren't elbow to elbow. Was it as loud as it seemed? Did they pipe in anything? I don't think so. I'm operating under the assumption that the piped-in crowd noise is no longer something they can do once you have actual crowd noise in attendance. 855-616-1620. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, this is good. See, not as many people, because there weren't as many people allowed in, but I do have a couple. I just, what was that like on Saturday? It it sounded loud, but I don't know, I'm, you know television and things like that. On the radio, sounded great. A little extra juice for Wayne, right? Wayne and Larry, with the crowd roaring behind them. It does make a difference. 855-616-1620. Uh, were you there? I need to... Uh, we need to have a debriefing. I'm going to debrief you here from the game. John is calling from Chicago. Hey, John. Hey there. You were there on Saturday night. Yeah, it was great. Okay. <laughs> it was just fantastic. How great was the elbow room, though? Be honest. Oh, it was, it was just fantastic. I was there <laughs> with my two sons. And uh, even better was the, was the traffic going in and out. Oh, yes. I mean, it was like... In and out. I mean, no delays at all. It was like it was like our own private game. It was just uh, it was fantastic. So, where were you? I have some questions for you. So, where were you in the bowl, or what? What, what uh, you we know, were, line, a yardage line were you on? Yeah, we were we were right at the um, you know the corner of the end zone, the north end zone. Uh, probably it was section one hundred eight, probably thirty fifth row up. So it was we were about twenty rows behind our normal season tickets. Um, so, you know, you're kind of, kind of in the back. So we were, you know, the corner, you know, kind of the corner end zone of the bowl. Okay. All right. And if you, if you compare it to the volume you would normally get, because on the television and maybe, maybe uh, John, it's simply because we've been used to these silent stadiums, even when they pipe in crowd noise, it's, you know, whatever. Uh, we've been used to these silent stadiums all year. So maybe it just seemed louder than it actually was. But being there, now look, Aaron Rodgers said, John, you and 8,600 of your closest friends felt like 60,000. What did it feel like? What did it sound like compared to the norm for you? Well, you know, first of all, it was our patriotic Packer duty to shout as loud as we could. So everybody had that duty to make as much noise, even if it was like second down and six. But, you know, what made it a different kind of a sound than a normal Packer game, everybody had those signs. And, you know, you had the steel benches in front of you. So those things, when you whack them on the steel bench, made a very loud, loud sound. So it was a different kind of a sound. I mean, when you're there with 80,000 people, you can't do that. You know, you could just clap, but you're clapping with gloves on, so it's very muffled. So it made a different kind of a very kind of a sharp flacking sound so it really multiplied the crowd noise 
you know, unlike, you know, with 80,000 people, obviously you got a bunch of people screaming, but it definitely generated uh, a lot of noise. So it sounded really loud. Um, hmm. It really did. Hmm. It really did. Are you in the pool? Are you hoping to get picked again this weekend? Oh yeah, for sure. Mm, right. <laughs> it was like I said. It was one of the it was one of the best games that. Uh, yeah, I signed up. You know, I, no, nobody thought there were going to be any games, but I decided to you know just let the money ride and and hopefully get get lucky and they'd have games and and it was it was, it was just it was just awesome. Do you live in Chicago and you drove up, or do you live in the Chicago land area? Yeah, yeah, I've oh. been here for thirty years. Okay. And I actually, and, and you know, from originally from Wisconsin, and sure. I put my name on when I moved back to the Midwest, and mm-hmm. got up, got my green package uh, just last year. So mm. it was just great timing. All right. Well, good luck, John. Maybe we'll see and hear you again this weekend in the NFC Championship game. I asked if he's maybe he's just calling from Chicago, but lives in Wisconsin. He lives in the Chicagoland area. I find that interesting because uh, we go back to the phones. Jim calling us from Illinois. <laughs> hey, Jim, how are you? <laughs> Hi, Jeff. How are you? Thanks for having me on. So you were there, and the elbow room was great, I assume. Great, great. Uh, and uh, uh, I loved it. I loved having the room. We spent the whole time standing. We didn't have to worry about blocking anybody's view. Uh, and you still had plenty of room to walk on over uh, a few paces and high five and hug the guy next, the guy sitting by us. Whenever the Packers had a great play. Wait a minute! Now you were high fiving and hugging during a pandemic. They let you do that, Jim. Jim. Well, hey, Matt, God. Jim. Uh, <laughs> well, Jim. And maybe, uh, yeah. Uh, well, maybe beer kills a lot of germs too. <laughs> What were the rules in that respect? Like, when you walked in, and I know they gave you the rules ahead of time, when you walked in, uh, there was signage, what, keep your mask on your face? What were the do's and don'ts that were so different than normal, I assume? Um, I guess uh, guess what you expect, no, no matter where you are in public during the pandemic, but the ushers were constantly yelling at us and yelling at people or telling people, put your mask on. Uh, even if you had your mask on, pull your mask up. So you heard a lot of that. Oh, and uh, they made sure to, to keep uh, you know the crowd in check in that regard. Okay. So the ushers, are you saying the ushers would actually you know, come over to you in, in your pod and say, uh, excuse me, sir, make sure that mask is on. Like, would, would they come after you, check up on you? Uh, yeah, uh, in, in a bit. Otherwise, from a distance, from uh, you know, uh, uh, there was always ushers by the uh, entrances, to the ramps, you know, you know, to, to the stands. Okay. And from there, they'd be constantly looking at the crowd and constantly pointing or trying to get people's attention to tell them to pull their mask up. Huh. All right, interesting stuff. And I assume you're going to be um, fingers crossed for this weekend's selection. Heck, heck yeah. And, uh, yeah, to reiterate, to reiterate what John said, you called it before, yeah. he was right. The banging of the signs against the steel bleachers, huh. an incredible sound. And that's the loudest I've ever heard Lambo. And I've been there before. Wait, 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 wait. That was the loudest you've ever heard Lambo Field, and you've been going to games for many years when there's 80-plus thousand people, and yet that, you, are you serious when you said that was the loudest you'd ever heard it? If not loudest, one of the loudest. Wow. But it was definitely loud. John was correct. Yeah. So banging the cardboard signs against the metal bleachers, 
created that atmosphere. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Good luck. Uh, Maybe you'll be making noise again this weekend. I love it. We had the two calls, both people from from Illinois. All right. So this, so we've, it was, it was great to have elbow room. I didn't even consider the traffic situation, parking, right? Parking, traffic, elbow room. You could walk around. You could stretch your legs during the game. You stand, you sprawl out, maybe put your legs over the bleacher in front of you. And, Something that I had, I had not, I've not heard yet. But both of uh, both of our calls, the the signs you could pound them on the bleachers. You, did you watch the game? And at all of it? Yeah, I watched the game. Could you hear? I was watching it with the with the volume off because I was doing some things. Could you hear like audible pounding on the bleachers? I I didn't. Like I, I heard a lot more cheering yeah. uh, for the Packer game particularly, but for the Bills game, the Bills-Ravens game, oh. I heard it there. Um, like, I mean, they also featured it like in oh. before the game and as as the game was happening, they were showing multiple shots of people doing it, but I actually heard it and it was irritating. It reminded me of the um, Oh, when the World Cup was in Africa, those those vuvuzelas. Oh, the vuvuzelas. Yeah, I mean it wasn't mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like a humming like that, but it's it's like clanking and clamoring, like like people slamming like power tools or like metal tools against yeah. metal. It was maybe their keys. Yeah, it it was it was definitely <laughs> irritating. So being a player on the field, you that's not what you want to hear. Interesting. All right, is it? This is this is fascinating stuff. I, this is something I was not. Um, not familiar with going in. And maybe the 414 texter and other people have made the similar comment. Maybe the best thing about it, no lines at the bathrooms, right? Yeah, I I hear you there. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One thirty one, Ann Compton, ABC News White House correspondent. She joined us, it was about mid-December or so, when we were talking about 20 years since the Bush v. Gore saga. Well, she's going to be kind enough to join us at 2.07 this afternoon to reflect on her inauguration experiences. And be remiss if you don't get her thoughts on what this Wednesday's ceremony could look like. A little bit different than probably all the ones that she covered for COVID reasons and, as we know, for other reasons as well. But first, it is the bottom of the hour, and that means Melissa Barclay is back with headlines. Yeah, thank you so much, Scott. Two days out from the inauguration, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris are joining Martin Luther King Jr. Day service projects today. Their work comes as Washington prepares for a swearing-in that will play out under extraordinary security. More than 20,000 National Guard troops uh, were being dispatched across the city to bolster security monuments including the King Memorial, are closed to the public until after Wednesday's inaugural events. Coronavirus deaths are rising in nearly two-thirds of American states as a winter surge pushes the overall toll towards 400,000. A vast effort is underway to get Americans vaccinated, but that campaign is off to an uneven start. According to the latest federal data, about 31 million doses of vaccine have been distributed, but fewer than 11 million people have received at least one dose. There will be some fans in the stands at Lambeau Field again for this weekend's NFC Championship game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Packers say they will sell 6,500 tickets to established season ticket holders. Nearly 9,000 total people were in the stadium to watch the Packers defeat the Rams. 
jams this last weekend. Time now for a WTMJ Drake & Associates market update. The markets, by the way, are closed today because of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. WTMJ Pella, WI.com, time saver traffic. Roads are looking good. Uh, the right lane that was blocked on 4145 southbound at Leon Road, that has been cleared up, so you're good to go there. 94 inbound Highway 16 to the zoo, you're good at 10 minutes. Zoo to the Market Interchange, we're not seeing any delays there, just a seven-minute ride. 4145 southbound Highway Q to the zoo, that is just a 14-minute ride. 43 inbound Brown Deer Road to the Market Interchange, 12 minutes, and not seeing any delays. 94 inbound Leighton Avenue to the Market Interchange, just seven minutes. Traffic is sponsored by Sound Decisions in Racine. Find out about getting a remote start installed. Are you freezing starting your car? A remote start from Sound Decisions can be installed in almost any car. Call Sound Decisions Racine today at 262-633-8300. WTMJ 5-Day Forecast. Lots of clouds going on this week, so we'll get through it, though. Friday, we got a special treat for today. Mostly cloudy. We're going to see flurries, a high 33. Tonight, cloudy. Flurries, low 18. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy. It is going to be colder. Chance for flurries, a high just 24 for tomorrow. Wednesday, mostly cloudy. Windy, flurries, high 33. Thursday, partly cloudy. 36, your high. And Friday, it is going to be sunny, mostly sunny, a high 25. In Mequon right now, it's 31. Greendale, 29. In Milwaukee, we're at 31 degrees. I'm Melissa Barclay, Sighting Unlimited, WTMJ Newstime, 134. And I would say this, just to kind of round out the uh, little brief Packers conversation here, take advantage of the opportunity. You say it oftentimes in sports. When a, when, it, when a situation presents itself like it will on Sunday, take advantage of it because you don't know what's going to happen next year. I mean, think about it. It has been 10 years since Rodgers won the Super Bowl. How old is Rodgers? Is he 37? I think he's 37. So he was 27 years old. And I remember all the experts. Look at this kid. He's 27. He's already been an MVP. He's already been a, um, is he the MVP of the Super Bowl too? Was he? He's already been a Super Bowl MVP. He's got a, he's one for one in Super Bowls. His first NFC championship game, a victory. He's 27. My gosh, how many, how many situations like this is this kid going to be in for the, and here we sit. Potentially, it's taken 10 years to get back if things go well on Sunday. I know, I know. It's been 10 years to get back. And to have the game at home, take advantage of the opportunity when it's presented. Because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen next year. I guess that's good life advice for all of us. Take advantage. Make the most of every day because the next day is not promised to any of us, right? But in the sports realm, last time I said it was, uh, well, the Bucks up 2-0 in the Eastern Conference Finals. Just finish it off. More than that. More than that. More than that. Game 7. How many of us were there? Game 7, NLCS at Miller Park. You got to win one game to go to the World Series, and it's on your home field. Take advantage of the opportunity because you never know. You never know what the next year holds. You never know when that opportunity is going to come around again. Could the Packers make the NFC title game again next season at home? Sure. Everybody's, but you don't know. What were we saying last year? I mean, nobody had to get COVID and all this stuff, and yet here they are. I'm just saying. When you're put in that position, when the opportunity presents itself, take advantage. Because 
you might be able to make yourself feel better by saying, look, Rodgers will be back next year. LaFleur, this offense, oh, man, they could be back again next year. You never know. Injuries. A fumble here, a bad snap there. Next thing you know, you're up. You never know. That's what I'm saying. It's extras, extras. You know my point, Kyle? It's like something extra on the line when you've got the game at home to win to go to the Super And we can say Super Bowl because we're not doing it in the advertising realm. So take advantage of those situations. Okay, quick break. When we come back, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I've got a question. I'm going to ask for a word. You know I love words. I'm going to ask for your word related to today's holiday in two minutes. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, 855-616-1620. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is 855-616-1620. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, 2021, 2021 edition. Um, words. Words are important. Words have meaning. Let's do a little wordplay here. Wordplay. Word for word. How would you describe the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr.? Hmm? Think about it. From your perspective, from your vantage point, from your life, from your experiences, from people you know, from people you're related to, when you look back, when you think back on his life, his legacy, in a word, how would you describe that legacy? You can come at it from, I would ask, actually, honestly, come at it from the one direction that only you can come from, your own. I was sitting back earlier this morning, and I thought, I'd like to, I'd like to discuss the day, but I don't know how to do it. I want to talk about today and talk about Martin Luther King Jr., but what can I say? How can I approach this and include all of you in a way that makes for good radio, but in a way that gives us just a moment here to pause and reflect? I think that's the least, and hopefully you're doing more today, but that's the least we can do, or, or, or we can do at least on, on a radio show, right? And I thought, well, let's go to my words right? What word would you use to describe his legacy? Because I think, look, he was assassinated in, in, in uh, uh, 68, right? So it's been decades since his passing. And yet, I think with everything we experienced in the last year, last summer, and since, I wonder if the word you would use today is different than the word if you would have used on January 18th or whenever it fell in 2020, a year ago on this holiday. 
616-1620. It is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you text in a word, tell me why. Tell me why you've chosen that word. Okay? That helps, always. 855-616-1620. There is no wrong answer here. Whoever you are, however you are, your life, your experiences... Martin Luther King Jr. means something to you in any varying ways, in any any varying degree, right? As a white 39-year-old, my word may not be the same as somebody who is an African-American 39-year-old in Milwaukee. It's probably not, right? So you need not think any harder than... Then you have to, but based on your life and who you are, not just your skin color, but how you've grown up, the circumstances surrounding your upbringing and your, in your current day life, Martin, I say Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy in a word, life and or legacy in a word, what's your word? 855-616-1620. I'll give you my word when we come back, and we'll take your calls and your texts. They're coming in fast and furious, but plenty of open lines. 855-616-1620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The word... I'm almost 53 years since his assassination, but the word to describe Martin Luther uh, Martin Luther King Jr. to you, his life and legacy to you. My word, example. I think the more you read, the more you learn, the more you find out about who he was and how he went about his message, how he did it. And you contrast it to the way some go about trying to get their messages across these days. Hmm. It's an example. I think it's an example for for people from all walks of life committed to a cause that is just, that is right. How do you get that message across? You set an example. That That's my word. 855-616-1620. Gianni in Montello clearing his throat. Hello, Gianni. <laughs> Hello, Scott. Uh, good to hear your voice today. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I would say um, I have two words, a courageous and way, way, way overdue. Um, and I, I, I may, may qualify that, the thoughts by saying shame, shame, shame on, on America for, for, for not only the legacy of, of, of slavery, but what happened um, after the Civil War and, and the, the, the Jim Crow laws. I, I mean, my God, uh, did, it ta- did it have to take this long? Why do you say overdue? You're saying that his, his, his life... His legacy was overdue. You said it took too long for somebody like him to come along and 
get us headed in the right direction? Is that is that what you mean by overdue? No, I, I, I'm placing. I, I, I'm I'm diverging a little bit. I, I'm placing the the onus on America. Mm. And um, how could this how could this have taken so long? But so let me go with with the word courageous okay. and, and, and even brave. Brave. I mean, but but how, I mean, this is something that America needs to ponder uh, and, and needs to think about. Um, why did it take so long? For for for, um, for for minorities and, and particularly African Americans to have uh, equal rights and, and civil rights, what happened in our history that would allow this to continue? You know, you think about it. I mean, we're talking in the 1960s. I mean, that was only 50 some years ago that. <laughs> It it is kind of amazing, it, to your point, Gianni. That wasn't that long ago that no, there wasn't. were there no, were drinking fountains for black people and for white people. I mean, just now here, twenty twenty one. Some of those things you go, what? That is just so unbelievable. But it was very much believable, like five decades ago. That's it. And in in the grand spectrum of world history, that was you know an hour ago. Right, right, and and after the you know after uh, the emancipation, blacks in the South and even in the North were tr- were treated as second class citizens. I, I mean, when you think about it, I was born in uh, in July, late July of sixty four, but I, I don't believe the the Civil Rights Amendment uh, came along until I think was it July second sixty four. So I could have been born in that era. I mean, it's it's. It's a very, um, very difficult thing to 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 think about that it took so long um, for for uh, white America and our government uh, to 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 wake up. And you do have to say, is everybody awake yet? And I think we know the answer is no. I mean, it's it, it, the problem is it gone. I mean, I'm talking about racism, right? I think we've all realized that racism still very much exists. And if you're not going to say that it does, if you're going to ignore it, then you're sticking your head in the sand. And I don't know why. And I don't know why. You, it's still very much. Gianni, thanks for the call. I, I do appreciate it. And yeah, overdue. Hmm? Right. Mel's on the northwest side. Hello, Mel. Hello. How are you doing? I'm okay. What's your word for Martin Luther King Jr.? My word is aspirational. Um, my concern is there have been tremendous successes. Oprah, Andrew Johnson, uh, Tiger Woods, on and on and on individuals who have succeeded. There have been a significant amount who have not. Uh, I think there were the, the roadblocks that the other guy was talking about put blacks behind significantly, and I, w- many of us feel that's the reason why all of us, or, or a greater number, aren't moving forward uh, as a group. You put all these roadblocks all those years, and that kept us um, behind. It kept a barrier for us. It told me to be a good guy, stay out of trouble, get a college degree, and everything would be fine. I Stayed out of trouble, got a college degree, and was paid horribly throughout my my years. In contrast to my white counterparts, so 
were there some successes? Yeah, I think Martin Luther King aspired for us as a as a race to uh, improve, and we did, but not not anywhere near as much as we could have. Uh, and there's still that concern. Those individuals who attacked the uh, uh, Washington um, the other week, uh, that hate still continues. If you don't think it does, if you don't think there wasn't a racial overtone, with no black people in that group um, uh, doing that type of thing. So there's still that type of hate that's going on just because of the color of my skin. What is the biggest... Mel, as, as you see it, as you experience it, what is the biggest, you, you said the word roadblocks, and I think that that's a pretty good term. What is the biggest impediment that you see, even now, even now? I still think it was opportunities. I mean, we had cities, you know, Atlanta is the, is the great star where you had a significant um, amount of population there. They were able to take over that city, run that city, and be successful in it, choose the leaders. Uh, the same thing I want to see in Milwaukee is more black leaders in positions of power, the positions of influence. Uh, and so getting those opportunities, becoming the director of uh, our health department, that's a great example. Now another young lady, I'm sure she'll be fine. When you have the majority of individuals in that city, not in Milwaukee, not Pewaukee, we should dominate uh, the numbers in terms of power and influence for the area that we're in. And we just, throughout the whole United States, we haven't received the same hmm. level of uh, power and influence and opportunity that we could. Hmm. Thank you, Mel. I appreciate your comments, and I appreciate your perspective. I'll... Uh quick break and then i'll come back i'll read some of your texts as well some of your words to describe martin luther king jr his life his legacy in a word some 50 almost three years since he was assassinated live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now in for jeff wagner wtmj's scott morris well, we are less than 48 hours, about well, 46 hours, 46 hours, eh, 43, 42 hours away from the 46th president of the United States being sworn into office and uh, here to talk a little bit about what we may see on Wednesday, what we've seen over the years. One of our good friends, great familiar voice to have back on WTMJ, longtime White House correspondent for ABC News, Ann Compton makes her first 2021 appearance on the show. Hello, Ann. Hello again. Well, hello again, and here we are. This, if I were downtown covering it in person, would be my 11th inauguration. But like everybody else in the city of Washington, I'm sitting at home reporting on it. Mm. You know, before I get to the inauguration, I, I'd be remiss getting the opportunity to talk to you again. And I do appreciate your time. If if I just didn't ask you if I could take you back to the 6th of January and as you watched those events unfold as somebody who knows that city like the back of her hand, who has walked the halls of, of Capitol Hill Hundreds, probably maybe thousands of times, you know, in your career. 
What are some of the more indelible images that even now, some two-plus weeks later, are still hard to fathom? The movement of the crowd from the ellipse near the White House after the President Trump's rally was impressive, but we couldn't quite tell the numbers. You can't get a, an airplane up there to look down on the, on the size of the crowd. But it was clear when the, the cameras caught up on Capitol Hill that the crowd pushing up into the inaugural stands, banging on the doors, wasn't the moms and dads who were standing down there. This was a much different group, and that's when it really looked scary. I think my heart broke as I saw very thin lines, thin uh, police protection of the Capitol itself, which is a huge sprawling complex. And they just had a handful of officers around because there was nothing up there that day. And then to see the disrespect of those who stormed in, not just of the building, of the hallways and breaking through the doors, but taking American flags and using those to beat things down and to beat law officers on the ground. I got to tell you, I have never seen, never watched something like that and felt such heartache. Not inside these borders anyway. I mean, there are other nations over world history that have had those images flashed up maybe in, in their new on the front of their newspapers or on their television news at night but it, it, it it's really unbelievable and i said it at the time and the word unbelievable i think is overused in the english language it is misused in the english language but it's I mean, right for this yes i mean you, you, you see <laughs> yes, some of the new footage this week the people sitting up there at the dais where where mike pence had been mere minutes earlier it's still unbelievable. And what, and what we couldn't hear clearly on the audio uh, that we were watching on those live streams as they were happening it, is the shouts of hang Mike Pence or uh, uh, some of the other most uh, the, the vile things that were being said. Uh, no, it's just it, 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 it's now a seminal moment for the kind of incredible cross currents of anger and fear in our country right now, not coming from out of the United States. This is uh, enemies, not foreign, but the threat domestically. And that uh, just I has obviously mm-hmm. shaken the entire nation. We will talk inauguration, but I do have one more question pertaining to, sure. to, to that day's events. I had, and obviously naively so, and I, I actually heard some congressmen making this claim the day or two after, but I had always, I guess, just assumed there was a a button somewhere. And that big red button is pushed, and the Capitol goes on lockdown. Whether that's a physical gate somewhere to certain corridors that fall. But clearly, clearly that's not the case. When you see that happen, and you know the men and women who work Capitol Police, and all the layers of security that I assumed could in the event of something like this, as unbelievable as it was, be prevented from a security standpoint, Anne, how the heck did that happen? The security failures in that moment when the the Capitol building itself was suddenly overrun uh, will be a case history for, for, for years. I am less worried about that than I am the political groundwork 
laid for it. What was going on in the chambers was the uh, absolute bedrock of democracy. They were counting and confirming the electoral vote, whether you like the electoral college or not. We've had it for you know 230 years. They were doing the constitutionally mandated uh, uh, mandated uh, formula, the, the legal way to get the United States uh, a new president. And to have that the target is, to me, absolutely, mm. your word, mm. unbelievable. Yeah, as somebody put it to me, because there are people that are trying to compare, well, it's just like here in, in Wisconsin in 2010, the siege of Madison with Governor Walker yeah. and Act 10 yeah. and collective bargaining rights. Or it's just like the riots and, and the demonstrations, the protests we saw this summer with Black Lives Matter. And somebody said, Ann, motivation matters to the point you just made what was happening what they were looking to disrupt, motivation matters and puts what we saw on a completely different level from any other comparisons. Yeah, no, I I, yeah. I agree. And the black look, black lives matter, uh, de- destruction and uh, uh, physical damage was also upsetting. I'm not discounting that. I belong to St. John's Church. The nursery they burned is where my four kids went to nursery before they went to Sunday school. Um, and I took that very, I was married in that church. My kids were married in that church. So, and baptized, I, I took that very personally as well. But there's something about what is it in our country now where too many people have a disrespect and a deep mistrust of the institutions of our democracy. And that is going to take a long time for any administration and any country to heal over the wounds we have now. Retired ABC News White House correspondent Ann Compton, you probably recognize the voice. You go, oh, yeah, I I recognize (laughs) Ann Compton's voice. Okay, so Wednesday, what should we, what are you anticipating this inauguration look like? I would have asked you that question even if January 6th had not happened because of the pandemic. But pandemic plus security threats, what should we expect Wednesday to look like in comparison to what we've become used to seeing on an inauguration? Well, I've kept a little checklist. We're uh, thinking about exactly that question. And on my checklist, as first of all, we could never have expected crowds or a parade in the age of a pandemic. And so that is not anything I ever expected. A smaller ceremony outside, I can understand. Look, too, at our economy, which has been so, so strained and hurt by the, by the, uh, by the pandemic. But you add to that the high anxiety, the cross, deep cross currents of, of anger in this country. So what I'm going to be watching for is, number one, security. Is there any attempt to disrupt this moment in constitutional procedure as they did on January 6th? The second thing, I look for symbols. There, Jimmy Carter, well, first inauguration I covered, walking down Pennsylvania Avenue, holding his wife's hand, getting out of the limousine. I want to be closer to you, the people. I will respect you. I won't be a, an imperial president. Symbols like that count. And they and they last. They have a historical resonance. So I'm going to be looking to see if we do see things that kind of reinforce the idea that um, that uh, that 
this will calm down. The other thing that I think, obviously, the inaugural address will be important, and, and it's supposed to be aspirational. Inspirational, yeah, but aspirational. The other thing is that moment of the swearing-in, and this is for everybody, almost everybody sitting home watching it on television now and listening on the radio. The moment when the, cam- the camera catches not just the new president raising his right hand, left hand on the Bible, the executive branch, he will he will enforce the laws. But behind him, you'll see the members of Congress, the leaders of Congress, as much as they argue, as but different parties, different philosophies, they are in the picture standing witness the second branch of government, which makes the laws. And you will also see two members of the third branch of government, justices of the Supreme Court, the Chief Justice swearing in, uh, President Biden, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, the Associate Justice, swearing in um, a first woman vice president. So we will look for snapshots like that as symbols of where the country heads next. What are some of your favorite snapshots? You mentioned covering uh, Jimmy Carter's inauguration as your first, I believe you said. Yeah. What, what are some of your favorite well, snapshots over the years? You know, for years, I would go up to be live on Good Morning America uh, at the Capitol itself, up through the, um, the swearing in. And then ABC would have to find a way to get me all the way back downtown. It's a mile, but it, uh, down back town to the White House lawn for the, the president arriving there. And it, it, security became such you couldn't do it. So I would stay at the White House. I like staying on that White House lawn. And I would go back to windows that opened from the press area out to the Rose Garden. And I would watch workmen carrying in big packages of draperies to put up during that short four-hour span when they're moving the president's gear in to the bedrooms upstairs and, and, and redoing the Oval Office to some extent. This year, this year, I wish I could be there. They're going to take a couple of days to do it, and they are literally going to deep clean the White House, the East Wing, the West Wing. Every carpet, every room will be COVID-cleaned. Uh, because President, uh, you know, Trump is leaving in the morning. Vice President Biden is not going to move in that night, uh, and I think that kind of transformation um, is kind of a, to me, again, one of those symbols of a deep cleaning, a fresh start. And like you say, is the normal window of time for that the, the whole move in move out thing Anne, is just fascinating because as we're watching the ceremony there's hundreds of workers busily moving all, in and out these are all white house workers they don't clear in a lot of you know you know day workers from moving companies these are cooks and electricians and carpenters who work there all everybody helps move it in and out but this time uh because they're going to take a little bit longer um what I'm be looking for in the Oval Office, you don't you you have time to put down a new rug and put up curtains. You don't have time to paint. You don't you can move the furniture around. You can rewire the telephone. They've done that a couple of times. But what I'm looking for, Barack Obama for his second term, took the white walls in there and put up brown and or uh, kind of a dark gold and and cream colored striped wallpaper. I'm sorry, I like President Obama. I was never crazy about the wallpaper. President Trump came in and does a, does a kind of a gilt, gold, uh, hazy uh, uh, floral pattern. I want to see whether anybody's going to paint it white again. Isn't that <laughs> silly of me? 
We've officially entered a wallpaper phase of the Oval. It's never going to go back to just plain white anymore or anything like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. There, there, are, there are many things to watch. I also hope that my kids and their kids, when they are old enough, can look back at this time and say, yeah, it was tumultuous, it was chaotic. Mm-hmm. People worried that this was the most chaotic time ever. But we got through it. And we still have a country that believes in the democratic principles that transcend party, that transcend political philosophy and spectrum, that we can still say we got through this time. It was an unconventional presidency. Uh, it ended and it began and ended in unconventional ways. And I, and I do hope, not putting my judgment on President Trump, but I do hope the era of, again, high anxiety – Hmm. Uh, begins to stabilize. And, you know, uh, on the way out here, Anne, one of my, I think one of my favorite images of Inauguration Day for the pomp and pageantry of it all and the symbolism, and we're not going to get it this year, is the departure, the departure of the outgoing president, the wave as it's, you know, become known. We're not going to get that this year. We're not going to get that snapshot. we actually, what we're going to get is the president on inauguration morning, leaving by Marine One. He did not want to fly out while he was, when he was a former president. So as president, he will come out of the, out of the White House, no crowd there because of the lockdown. He will take Marine One to Andrews Air Force Base, where there will be, the military lives there. They'll give him a red carpet. They'll give him a Marine band. Uh, he will get on Air Force One. So he will still be president of the United States even when he lands in West Palm Beach at around 11 a.m. And I don't know where he'll be at 12 noon. We won't see him standing there on the platform. What I also look for is that private moment that we never see. On the morning that George Herbert Walker Bush uh, was leaving the White House, he'd been defeated, he was heartbroken, he still went into the Oval Office early that morning and with a pen wrote down a letter to Bill Clinton who had beaten him. And I've got a copy in my hand. And he closes the letter to President Clinton saying, your success now is our country's success. I am rooting hard for you, signed George. That kind of personal commitment from president to president is is so important. It's a very small club, and um, I don't know whether we'll ever hear whether there's a letter or whether there was any communication. But I, but I do hope that the adherence to the idea that we're the one one country in the world who, for 230 years, has had the peaceful democratic transition of political power from one political party to the other. Yeah, I've got a feeling that tradition, we may lose that tradition this time around as well. Big question, though, Anne. Uh, how is Anne Compton spending her birthday tomorrow? Oh, That's the thank most you important. For asking. Unfortunately, important question. She's not, she's not getting a, a, a COVID vaccine. I've tried high and low for me and my husband. Still mm-hmm. don't have her in the District of Columbia, but we're a tiny town with four huge hospitals, and I do, as the mother of doctors, I do want, uh, I want the medical mm-hmm. community to get theirs. And otherwise, um, I am pleased to announce that when I uh, retired from ABC News, mm-hmm. I had a wonderful little eight-month-old baby granddaughter who President Obama had held. And when he announced my re- uh, retirement, he said, I bet she'll get some time with that. This summer, I will have eight grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, 
spending time for all the years that I traveled the world and was gone all the time to spend time now with family, giving back to them who who missed me so much is is the the best gift of all. Ann Compton, appreciate you joining us. Happy birthday from all of us here in Milwaukee at WTMJ, the Midwest, the Upper Midwest, your your old stomping grounds, and. Oh, I'm Cook County, Illinois. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Um, we'll do it again, hopefully, Scott, down the line. Thank you, Ann. Scott, thank you, and, and please, everyone, stay safe and healthy. There she is. For 40 years, she covered the White House at a front row seat, one of the very best, Ann Compton, and we appreciate her time here on WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff will be back on a Wednesday, by the way. Did he go anywhere exotic? Do we know? Did he? Did yeah, he hang on, on, oh, he is. Okay, I was going to say, did he say something on the air? Sometimes, you know, secret uh, maneuverings around the world. You never know where Jeff is jet setting. But he did say Florida. Yeah, him and uh, he and Fran bought a house down there. Fran's That's been right. down there for a couple weeks now, getting it all ready, and he's kind of checking in and seeing how things are going. He's checking. In, he's just he's making sure. Uh, so you chose that wallpaper, huh? Huh? He walks in, says, looks good, two thumbs up, <laughs> yeah. he'll be back on Wednesday. <laughs> Does he really have the clout to change that, though, or is that kind of Fran's thing? And no, it's, it's it's hers, 100%. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right, very good. He'll, be, he'll, well, he'll give us a live report. Uh, we should just call we should just call the house down there. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? No, he'll give a live report on Wednesday. I'm sure something will have happened down there that he'll want to lament. So is he going to become a snowbird? At some point in the future, whenever whatever it is that he hangs up the the microphone, I guess he, is that is that kind of the plan? Is Wagner going to leave Wisconsin? Is Wagner going to leave Wisconsin? He can't. He's from here. He's he's a local kid made good. He can't leave us. Yeah, I don't think he wants to go there for the entire winter. Okay, but I think good. it's it's more of a just be able to drive to the airport and say I'm going to Florida for a couple <laughs> days. Wouldn't we all want that? I was going to go to no. no. Anyway, all right, very good. We'll hear from him again on Wednesday. Right now, though, we do this. Great Scott! Okay, uh, impeachment palooza. Just get ready for it, right? They're going to continue with the process, even when Trump is no longer the current president. We know that. But do you know who else could face impeachment? Joe Biden. Probably people out there going, yeah. <laughs> Newly elected Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, an ally of uh, the pro-Trump conspiracy group, mm. announced plans uh, late last week to file articles of impeachment against President-elect Joe Biden almost immediately after he takes the power of the office of the president. In a tweet last week, she said she's going to file the articles of impeachment against Biden on Thursday. So the ink will not even be dry on the oath of office if you were to sign, you know, for abuse of power. It is unclear what abuse of power uh, she is referring to, given that Biden has not been sworn into office yet, at this moment anyway. Uh, The announcement comes on the heels of the vote, obviously, to impeach President Donald Trump. I mean, is this... We've joked that here in Wisconsin, we're just in a perpetual state of elections. Although right now we're in a bit of a pause. Are we just going to be in a perpetual state of impeachment right now? 
rights. I don't think that would be good for the country. Let me just throw that out there. Right, Scott! Okay, this is great. A Californian man who was scared to go home because of COVID apparently lived undetected at Chicago's O'Hare Airport for three months. That begs the question. How long do you think you could live at an airport undetected? Well, three months. That's the... (laughs) That's the bar you need to cross. His name is um, Aditya Yudai Singh. He's 33 years old. He was arrested over the weekend and charged with impersonation in a restricted area of the airport and theft of less than $500. He appeared in uh, court as well over the weekend. And we've learned he arrived in Chicago on a flight from Los Angeles back on October 19th. He's then alleged to have lived undiscovered in the airport security zone until Saturday. It's reported, um, he is reported to have been apprehended after being saying, how, how did he finally lose his cover? He was approached by two United Airlines employees who said, uh, can I see your identification? He showed them an airport ID badge that belonged to an operations manager who had reported it missing in late October. That's how he was able to work his way around all this time. Um, assistant state's attorney said, quote, he, has, he was scared to go home due to COVID and that other passengers had provided him with food. Hmm. The judge in the case that was uh, sitting on the bench during this initial hearing, expressed surprise at the unusual circumstance of the case. The judge said this, So if I understand you correctly, you're telling me that an unauthorized, non-employee individual was allegedly living within a secure part of the O'Hare Airport Terminal from October 19, 2020 to January 16, 2021, and was not detected? I want to understand you correctly. (laughs) Yeah, Your Honor, pretty much. Pretty much. Mr. Singh is a resident of the Los Angeles suburb of Orange and does not have a criminal background. Bail has been set at $1,000 with the condition that he does not re-enter O'Hare Airport and is due back in court on January 27th. I, so, like, if you really wanted to live at an airport, is the only way you could survive by having a badge to get you to secure areas? I mean, I look, O'Hare is the busiest airport in terms of passenger numbers every year in the world, I, I I think I might be able to survive not having to go into secure areas in a place like O'Hare. What was the, wasn't that the Tom Hanks? No, what was Tom Hanks? Did he live at the airport or was he just stranded? Stranded? No, that was a different movie. He was like in limbo, kind of like stuck there, but yes. for months. Yeah, see? Tom Hanks did it. How come Mr. Singh is in trouble for it? Right! And last but not least, for a third year, a Middle Tennessee attorney is giving away free divorce representation to one client. W. Scott Kimberly is a divorce attorney in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, is hosting a free divorce giveaway on Valentine's Day. Said for a lot of people, Valentine's Day is a celebration of love and commitment. But for so many, Valentine's Day is another reminder that they remain trapped in a relationship that they cannot leave because of financial problems. 
because of a spouse who refuses to agree to a divorce or for some other reason. Last year, Mr. Kimberly selected two winners of the giveaway, which resulted in twice the work for the office, but twice the reward for the recipients. He said, honestly, I had a hard time narrowing down the entries last year. So in the end, I just picked two people. And If you'd like to apply, you're encouraged to share your personal story and why you want a divorce on the entry. They'll be accepted until Valentine's Day. And then he'll pick the winner this year on Monday, February 17th. Kimberly will represent the winner for free, but the winner will be responsible for court costs and filing fees. So there you go. You want to get your special someone a certain something this Valentine's Day? Hey, honey. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, what's in the box? Chocolate? Jewelry? No. My papers to file a divorce. Don't worry. They're free. I won a contest. (laughs) Uh, Cupid's arrow. Never fails. There it is. A Monday Wagnerless show edition of Great Scott. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff will be back on Wednesday. The Terminal. I think I saw part of it on television once. I forgot he was Tom Hanks was playing an Eastern European tour. So he had an accent in it. Ah, oh, that's even worse. Ah, oh, that makes it so much worse. I mean, if you just read the little Wikipedia summary of the movie, it is so beneath Hanks. Again, this was 2004. This is not Tom Hanks circa 1980-something when he's making the climb through the industry. This is multi-Academy Award-winning Tom Hanks by this point, right? Here's the summary. When Victor Navorsky, an Eastern European tourist, arrives at JFK in New York, war breaks out in his country and he finds himself caught up in international politics. Because of the war, the Department of Homeland Security won't let him enter or exit the United States. He's trapped at JFK indefinitely. While living at the airport, Victor falls for a flight attendant. Do you remember who played the flight attendant? No. Catherine Zeta-Jones. She may have feelings for him, too. But what, this is my favorite line. But what good is love if Victor can't leave the terminal? <laughs> that just sounds like garbage. And it pretty much was. <laughs> it's just bad. And it was, you know who directed it? Spielberg. Are you kidding me? Tom Hanks, Catherine Zeta-Jones, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Stanley Tucci was in the movie, and it was directed by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and it's bad. Mm. Somebody is challenging me on the uh, article here, um, saying that uh, O'Hare Airport is not the busiest. Uh, Hartsfield, um, Hartsfield-Jackson Airport in Atlanta. Now, here, here's the uh, here's the difference, though. If you look at passenger volume, it is Hartsfield-Jackson-Atlanta International. It's been that way for a while. But O'Hare is the busiest in terms of takeoffs and landings, if that makes sense. So that is, that, that's why I, I, I called O'Hare the busiest in terms of takeoffs and landings, even if the actual number of people is, you know, no, let's see what it is. So there you go. There you have it.
Mabel, big fan of the terminal, I guess. I guess. I'm not sure. Although every every big Hollywood actor has some has some flops. But usually uh, I better not say that. I'm gonna get myself in trouble. Oh what the heck. Usually you get to a certain status. You get to a certain point in your movie career and pretty much everything look everything you should touch if you're Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg should be pretty much gold, should it not? Well, not in 2004. And now the people are coming out of the woodwork saying, I like that movie. I love that movie. Chick flick. Scott, I saw that movie. It's a good movie. Okay, all right, fine. If you like Eastern European people getting stranded and being forced to live at airports while a love affair emerges between them and a flight attendant, then it's your type of movie. Eric Bilstad likes it. Did you know that? We'll get a preview of Wisconsin's Afternoon News next.